0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Amelia. And Amelia grew up in an abusive household and eventually dated a narcissist who seemed to always have one foot out the door. It's a story of family trauma, people-pleasing, self-worth, and feeling like you're good enough. And now, before we get to our episode here with Amelia, I just want to first thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show when it comes to rankings. Now, if you want to be on our show... Go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com. There's a button at the top of the page. It says guest form. Click on that button, fill out the form, send it my way. I'll go over it. We'll go email back and forth. We'll go through a whole entire process. And uh, if you've not heard back from me yet, sometimes I've sent emails back and it goes to your junk mail. So please check your junk mail. And to the other people that haven't heard back, uh, heard back from me yet, um, I'll get to your emails very shortly. I just have a bunch of them, so I have to get through them. And let's see here. Other things that are going on. On our website, we are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with online parenting, and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to our episode last year with uh, with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. But do you know what else helps support the show? Our Patreon. Yes, we started a Patreon. If you want to hear episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, and much, much more, join our Patreon at Patreon.com slash NarcissistApocalypse. We also started an Instagram and YouTube channel with, uh, fun pop culture videos. I'm going to try and put out a new video. I think after I record this, uh, it's more of an informational video, but I will try and get that out before this evening is done. And we're also creating new Instagram channels. We have one called Canada Post Traumatic Stress Disorder. It's all on Canadian postcards. It's really cutesy. We discuss big topics, so We discuss PTSD, CPTSD, and trauma in general. And uh, so find us there on Instagram with our new Instagram at Canada Post Traumatic Stress Disorder. And now it's time for me to get out of my way and your way. Here is my conversation with Amelia. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse. With me today, I have Amelia. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
0: I am doing well. And uh, thank you for being here with me where you are. It's in the morning. For me, it's uh, nighttime. Most people might be starting to go to bed (laughs) right now. But this is is, uh, the, the furthest away we've ever done a call. Um, is it? Okay. I think so. So, I'm just going to uh, get out of my way and your way and the floor Amelia is now yours.
1: Thank you. Okay, um so I'll, I'll start at the beginning. Uh I'm the second youngest of four adopted children. Uh we're all from different birth parents. Uh My two oldest siblings were born and adopted in Sydney, which is where my um, adopted mother and father uh, were born. Myself and younger brother were born in Melbourne. Um, I I don't remember ever not knowing that myself and my siblings were adopted. Uh, It it was not hidden from us. It was who we were. Um, We were the chosen ones. We were special as per my mum. So here we were, a family settled in Melbourne. Um, My adopted father had a very well-paying job with the big car company. that was based in Geelong. Um, My mum didn't work outside the home. Uh, Nor did she drive. She had enough work to look after four children under the age of eight. Uh, My earliest memories of my adoptive father are all fear-based. He was an imposing figure. He was probably close to six foot. He was balding and he had this prominent mouth. Um, not buck teeth as such, but maybe you could describe it as a big mouth. Um, From the earliest of age, I could feel his contempt and hatred toward me. Uh, When he looked at me, it was not with loving eyes of a father. And I knew this from such an early age probably from around the age of four years old. Uh, I can honestly say I do not have one fond memory of him. Uh, as it would come to pass, my adopted father was a pedophile. Um, I didn't understand it. Like I was maybe 12, 13, just when you're starting to hit puberty, and uh, he was the only father I knew, and I... I I just I knew I felt sick and I felt uncomfortable and I didn't understand, but i didn't I didn't know how to deal with that um I didn't talk to anyone about it um and I still really haven't spoken to my sister about that stuff uh we We do a little bit but we touch on it, but we don't really go into great detail uh down the track many years later his pedophile ways came out and more people came forward, other family members, uh, extended family, uh, family friends. Um, when he was confronted with these accusations, his his response was that anything he may have done was consensual and they were asking for it. Um, I... I, I I'm not sure how a child could give consent or be asking for it. I'll never understand that. And I guess now looking at it, he was completely delusional and he was a pedophile. So that's just how it is. Um, So I guess this is my experience of what a father is. Um, Needless to say, when I would go to my friends' houses, I was absolutely terrified of their fathers. Um, My motto... for life very early became just be invisible. Fly so far under the radar that no one will notice you. Um, Keep your head down at all times and don't make eye contact with any male figure. That was, for as long as I can remember, that's how I thought. And I remember walking along the street with my best friend and she would constantly put her hand under my chin and make me lift my head up because I constantly, and I still do it now, you know, when I'm 50 years old and I'm still walking with my head down and just, you know, fly under that radar. Don't get noticed. Um, so my life at home uh, was chaotic. Uh, mum struggled to raise poor children with pretty much no help financially from my adopted father. Uh we were living under the poverty line. And as soon as I was old enough, I got a job after school as a checkout chick just at the at Kmart. <clears throat> Anything to take the pressure off, Mum. Uh, life was a constant state of unease. Um, my younger brother was the centre of the universe. Um, I remember one moment when I was sitting on my mum's lap. My brother wanted to sit on her lap and he basically started crying and having a tantrum and I said to mum, that's okay, I'll get off your lap and he can sit there. And I remember mum Mum praising me for my kindness and for putting my brother's needs before my own. And I guess this begun my people-pleasing ways. It was always, always do what makes other people happy uh the inner dialogue was people will love you and value you if you make life all about them for as long as i can remember um my brother was a loose cannon the theme of my life was don't upset ben if he felt slighted in any way he would fly off the handle Windows broken out, him assaulting my mum. It was like a uh, tornado of violence. So my entire life was about them. Tread carefully around him. Say nothing. Don't rock the boat.
0: Um,
1: I just lived in a constant state of anxiety.
0: So that shaped your uh, mm. idea of what your relationships will be?
1: Yes, it did. It was that pit feeling in your stomach of unease. Um,
0: Did you know that at the time when you were about to get into uh, the relationship that we're about to talk about?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. Um, because as it turned out, um, I met my ex-husband when I was 15. So we were in the same group of friends. And so he was my childhood sweetheart. Um I he he's a good man. I clung to him and thought, Okay, I have someone that loves me. Uh, a couple of years into the relationship, uh, he did try and break it off with me and I remember I cried so much and was so distressed <laughs> he relented and we stayed together. So at the age of nineteen I felt pregnant with my first son. Um I think uh it was an unconscious sort of decision to not be careful with contraceptives. I would constantly ta- um, forget to take the pill. I sort of knew I was running the gauntlet. Some part of my brain thought, okay, if I have a baby, this baby will have to love me and will never leave me. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think in some part of my head, that's how I thought. It will be an unconditional love. So anyway, so here we are, a young couple, um, barely out of our teenage teenage years, looking after this beautiful little life. Um, My husband was a good partner and a great father. We both loved our son endlessly. But our relationship was probably more based on friendship. We had basically grown up together and were figuring out this family business. Um, In a romantic sense, sex was just something I did to please him. Um, My needs didn't matter. And he didn't seem to care if I was enjoying it or not um, and this is pretty embarrassing you can cut it out if you like, but for over fifteen years, I' never had an orgasm with him. I was too shy and I didn't want to cause any fuss um and if he was happy, then that was all that mattered and I just thought okay, this is my life, and this is how it is and as it turned out, um I had another son with him, at, and I was twenty five at the time um So my life revolved around my boys and ensuring that they had the love and security as kids that I didn't have. Um, And I was studying my nursing and I was working um, and my husband and I were just like mates living together and we'd have sex and it was just about him. Um, So this continued on to about 2009, 2010 and then I found out that um, he'd been having an affair with a woman down at the footy club, so pedestrian. Um, and I remember feeling really betrayed and heartbroken that my best friend had lied to me and betrayed me. I, I, and I wasn't jealous of him having sex with her, and I guess that's a bit weird. It was just a feeling of, who? who is he? Who are you? Um, who have I been with all these years? Um and how could you betray me like that? So needless to say, uh, I couldn't deal with the betrayal. Um, I didn't hate him and I sort of understood why he did what he did. Um, and we, and it was just about my sons. I would never change the view they had of their father because he's a good dad. And what he did was a shitty thing, but um, he, he was still a good father at the end of the day. And I couldn't hate him because he'd always been good to me apart from that. So we split up and my sons and I moved to a suburb not far from where we originally lived. Um, my ex-husband, he he went on to have a couple of relationships. He's in a relationship now. Um, He's always been there emotionally like I can chat to him and he's helped me financially. I think he's done that out of guilt and I don't want to make him feel guilty, but I think he feels terrible about what happened. But anyway, um, so then I started – I was on my own for five years and I was on and off dating sites, going on a few dates here and there and not really connecting with anyone. Um, I just – inside myself, I felt nothing. I just – felt nothing. Um, I would put myself in risky positions and just go out and pick up random, often age-inappropriate men. I had no self-care and would wipe myself off with alcohol, sleep with random men, and and I just didn't give a shit about myself. So when I met my narc, I had been on this date site for a couple weeks and I was contemplating deleting it because I was like, I'm over this, and, um, and then I matched with him. And I thought, oh, well, I'll meet up and see what happens. I went in there. And I went in with no expectations. I'd become a little disillusioned with the whole dating world. Um, after a few text messages, we were organized to meet at a restaurant close by. He lived three kilometers away from me, which seemed a real bonus at the time. So we met and instantly I liked him. He was charismatic and bigger, bigger bigger-than-life personality. He regaled stories about his uh, work and family, and it was just so entertaining. He, He made me laugh nonstop with his storytelling. His smile lit up his whole face. I was instantly smitten with him. And I hadn't been smitten with anyone for a really long time. Um, after the first date, we, we kept in touch via text. Um, he was messaging me for advice. He told me that he'd had a sudden onset of a splitting headache. And because I'm a nurse, he was texting me and asking me questions. And I said, well, look, you should probably get some medical attention, which he did. And the whole time he was in the emergency room. He was updating me on what they were doing and how he was going. Um, like this is only within the first week of us meeting, um, and he was telling me how amazing and smart I was. And um, so he was discharged that day, and he, I think they said he had a migraine or something. But from then, the love bomb bombing began. Uh he put me, I was the kindest, most selfless person he had ever met. He'd not met anyone as kind as me. I was amazing. And he didn't know how I, I did my job and it must be so tough. And what a caring person I am. I was I was on the highest pedestal. He would relate to his family and friends how amazing I was to be such a kind caregiver. Um Now I think back. I'm not sure how long this love bomb phase went for. Um, It wasn't long. Like I've listened to your other podcasts, and um, he was a little bit different that way. Like he, it it was really wasn't that long. And if other people may have, because the insidious devalue was was there quite early in the piece.
0: When you and, were in the love bombing stage, mm-hmm. uh, were you? Uh, I guess did you tell him the story of how kind you kind of grew up, and were you able to um, to voice your opinions on things? And, and, yeah, and, 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 yeah. So and, that's where, what... and that he was listening to what you had to say.
1: Yeah, you know then that's where he differs a little bit from other people I've heard about. Um he didn't really want to know about it. Um mm-hmm. I told him little bits and pieces about how I grew up and what was happening and um the marriage and all of that stuff. And he would he would listen, but if the conversation would end up turning to about him, um uh, and he would talk about his brother or, you know, it, so he, he listened somewhat and seemed to show empathy. But it, I think I knew really early that it, it wasn't um, legit. Okay. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but I clung on to that initial, you are amazing, you are so good, you're the best girlfriend, blah, blah. <laughs> like I... I I kept focusing on that rather than these little red flags, I suppose. So where he would always, dis-
0: he always, yeah, something would be about something within your family context. Mm-hmm. And then he would always take that story and yes. make it into, Oh, there's a story in my life that revolves yes. around the same thing.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the conversation all that is ended up about him. Um, now I look back, but I'm so polite and I, you know, just let him go. But um, it's it's a really gradual sort of the the devalue. It was I remember at times feeling that um that unease in the pit of my stomach, but then in the next breath he was praising me and telling me how great I was. Um, so the relationship sort of. Uh, went to the next level, I guess. By the second date, I was over at his place, and he, you know, was financially quite comfortable. He owned, well, he was had two houses pretty much side by side, and he was renting the house next door to renters. And um, so he was quite. Uh, he was. He had to have the best of everything. Um, his outdoor area was the best. Everything was the best. <laughs> and, um. So he cooked dinner for me um, on that second date at his place. Um, and again, he just made me laugh, He he, the way he would tell stories. And it, to make me laugh was sort of how he got me, I guess. Um, so the night progressed and we had a few drinks and I was laughing and it was going really well. And um, so I stood up and I went to give him a hug and... this is on the second day and and immediately he went sort of rigid and sort of he's given me like a robotic type hug and then he sort of pushed me away and said something along the lines of I don't do the hugging and stuff and you know it was like man's man doesn't do that affection thing and I remember I was a bit taken aback but thought oh well you know not everyone is openly affectionate that's okay so I ended up staying over um we had sex, um, and at first it seems uncomfortable, which is not unusual when you haven't been with someone before. And, um, but he he wasn't overly affectionate, and it was, and if he was, it seems forced and fake. Um, so that first time that we had sex was the only time he openly kissed me, um, and the only time we had sex in the missionary position. I don't know if this is too much information, but it seems to be.
0: It's your story.
1: Yeah. Um, So he he told me that he only enjoyed sex sex, um, if he was behind me. And I remember thinking, okay, that's a bit weird, but whatever, okay. Um, My motto was, you know, as usual, as long as he's happy, that's all that matters. And now now I think about it, and the more I've read and listened to, I believe... um, the way he had sex was his way of avoiding intimacy. It was very clinical and and no real sense of closeness. Um, so our, kid, our relationship continued along like that. Um, he worked away during the week, so I'd come over on a Friday night. Um, his daughter would come over on the Saturday night. He had a daughter from a relationship like 16 years ago or well, 20 years ago now. Um, and he hadn't been with the mum it was pretty much since his daughter was born. Um, but they still remained... She was still very, very involved, the ex-partner, in his life, um, to the point where she was there every, every weekend um, before his daughter started to... before she started driving herself the mum would bring her over and the mum would stay pretty much. So it would be myself, him, the ex and the daughter. <laughs> you know, one time we all went out for lunch together and I just thought, okay, she's really involved. But, um, you know, I understand he wants to keep things nice for his daughter and, you know, no dramas, but she was really involved to the next level. Um, she was paying all of his bills. So I remember he would hand her just a pile of bills um, and she would do all his banking for him um it was just weird. It was like the role of a wife um all the wifely du- duties, but not sleeping with him um like she, she'd bid all the family birthdays function, so it would be me and her <laughs> like she was just part of the family, which is, is, and i 'm not bagging that because I think it 's nice to still maintain a good relationship with the mother of your child. But it was to that next level where it was just weird. Did you um, feel
0: like you were a third wheel in, oh, in their absolutely. relationship? Okay.
1: Absolutely. I was just the visitor that lived around the corner. So it was safe. It was his birthday. She would be over. Um, to, and she'd be in the kitchen like getting stuff ready for his family for the dinner. And I'm like, well where's like we've been in a relationship for a couple of years then like where what's my role here? I'm I'm what it so, so during I'm just old old mate, during d- you know, around the corner.
0: During that time, uh like okay, at what point did he did, was he devaluing you and Oh yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so what we kind were, of things was he was he doing as far as tactics go, as far as making okay. you feel I guess, you f- afraid, <laughs> guilt and all um, those things.
1: Yeah, look, I think the the first red flag I remember was really early in the piece. Um, we were driving down the beach to go to his family's holiday home. And it was first time I'd been on a road trip with him. Uh, it was just over the weekend or whatever. And we're on, in the car and his level of rage at other drivers was to... I've never seen anything like it. I just did not comprehend why he was so angry. He was abusing people and, like, people who were doing nothing wrong, like what I thought. And I remember saying, what are you, what's wrong? What are you doing? And he just gave me this look, like, and it just shut me up. I, I can't even tell you. It was just, like, don't tell me what to do. If I want to abuse these people, I, that, that sort of look. Um and so that was the first sort of, you know, I was just like, why are you so angry? And then um, the constant, he would tell me, oh, you're so lucky, Millie. you're so lucky to be with me. You know, um, he would tell me that every time I saw him. Um, and then he would throw in these little snide remarks, um, but he would hide it under the veil of uh, a joke. Um Like, for example, I've got freckles, um, and I have some freckles on my legs. And I remember him saying, oh, I've never seen a a girl with freckles on her legs. And I was like, what? And I just remember thinking, oh, is that a bad thing? Okay. It just made me feel shit about myself. Mm. Um, And he would... He would say mean things about people just on the street, like especially if people were a bit heavy um weight wise um, yeah you know, he the contempt that he had for these people, like he would see someone going for a walk um and they might be on the heavier side, and he would just say something really shitty about um about them and I was like well what are you doing why are you being so mean um so and i've you know, my weight has fluctuated over the years, and um, it's one of my insecurities. You know, you don't. I'm a bit paranoid about putting on weight, and so I, he would just say things like, if I had a bit of bread, he he would mention he would say something about bread being, you know, that goes straight to your thighs or whatever, and it's just like I would become paranoid about what I would eat in front of him. Um well, you should feel just comfortable with someone. But I didn't. Um, you know, and he would say, I have my two sons, uh, both electricians by trade, which is a good trade and well-paying job. But he would make snide remarks about electricians as it's a soft trade. And so he would sort of insult my sons, but then go, oh, I'm only joking. I'm only joking, you know. Amelia, and I'm like, "Well, hang on. I think you've just insulted my sons. Um, That's not very nice. But then he would turn it in a way that it was a joke or he would make me laugh about something else. And then it was still there, but I'd sort of push it to the side, I guess. Hmm. Um, And I remember him saying, you know, because his, his daughter was the centre of the world. Yeah, she she was actually a nice girl. And I feel sorry for her when I think about it, um, having a, narcissistic, <laughs> a narcissist for a father. But um, basically he told me that um, it would be – if anything happened to her, it would be so much worse for him um, than if I lost one of my sons because – I would still have one son. And it was – and nobody loved their children or their child as much as he loved his daughter. Like, he sort of devalued the love. Like, it's been like, oh, well, one son has passed away, but I've got the other one. So, you know, that's that's what he was sort of insinuating. I was like, I'm like, you can't be serious. What are you talking about? I I love my sons equally. I'd, oh my God! If I lost one of my sons, I'd, and he he would just say s- things like that, and it, it was just weird. And um, I remember I was over there, and I kind of remember what I said that upset him. But I'll never forget the uh, the change in his face. I can't remember what it was about, but I looked at him. And his whole face changed and his eyes, I swear to God, they turned black. And I remember feeling, oh, my God, like I'm looking at pure evil right now. And then as soon as it was there, it was gone. Um, and I just thought, what, what is going on there, you know? But maybe, you know, because he always, he didn't sleep very well and um, he be awake two, three, four in the morning. And he would, that's when he, I think he would have what he perceived as his intimate times. Like he would talk to me and say how anxious he's feeling and that he's a shit person. Like I think on some level he knew that he was a shit person, <laughs> that he is a shit person. And so I would try and reassure him and tell him, no, you're, you're great. you you know, you work hard. You're a good father. Like, I would give him this constant um, praise and reassurance. No, you're a a good person. So, yeah, you might drink too much some days and say things that are pretty shitty, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're a good person, you know, and I really wanted to make him feel safe and okay. And I thought, with my love, I could fix whatever is going on here. (laughs) Um, If I just love him enough and I'd be as kind and just fly under the radar and just don't upset him and just love him. He will be a good man. I know that it sounds silly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, but the, you know, and clearly that didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, Hated all my friends. Like the few times he did me. like he was just not interested in my life. And like this, when I was writing down some of the stuff, um, with the devalue that he did, it was um, it's really quite. When you do write it down, I, I was looking at the pages of stuff, and I thought, why did I stay? I actually don't know. Um,
0: so so when you did read what you had written down. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and you looked over it. How? I guess I know. Well, um, we still have probably a lot to go here. But in when you did look at it, were you? Um, did you feel better? Um.
1: Um. Or- yes, maybe in a way. I I feel a little embarrassed. Um that he did this so, quote, you know, early. And, he, you know, and I've, when I've listened to your other, other podcasts, um, a lot of the Narcs are very keen to move quickly with the relationship as far as moving in together and progressing in this relationship where he wasn't like that. He he liked the fact that um, he worked away during the week and then I'd come over on the weekend and um, it would all be about him on the weekend and just all about him. Like in three years, he met my son's three times. So he came to my house twice.
0: So he had a completely different life than you.
1: Yeah. 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 I was, I was just the person that come over on a Friday night and bring him a slab of beer and, and sit there and drink with him. Like I never drank as much as I did as when I was with him. And I think I did that because I was in this constant state of anxiety around him, Um, so I would drink and then I'd get a little bit of, um, you know, if he did start saying snide sort of things, I would maybe retaliate because I did have a few drinks on board and then we would fight and I'd end up driving home, you know around the corner, but still I probably shouldn't have been driving. But, um,
0: so so did you feel like you were in a relationship with him, but he was not in a relationship with you? But did you feel it during that time?
1: Um, I felt he was telling me all the things I wanted to, like we both wanted to settle, you know, eventually move down by the coast, um, go up North, uh, Go travel around in like an RV around Australia and um, like he and he would say, "Yeah, Millie, really we're going to do this. You know, it'll be amazing." And we would go and look at um, like RVs, you know. And so he sort of uh, he, was dang, he was he
0: was dangling a carrot of your future together yeah, in front of yes, you. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, but there was no follow through. There was no. Um, there was no follow through. It was, it just continued the way it was. And I could say, he was just telling me these things, but at the time I believed it. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. Um, I, but, you I, know, I, got-
0: have, I have no idea what eventually happens in the story, but I'm going to ask a question right now. Did he have, was he in a relationship with anyone else during this time that you found out? Well,
1: you know, um, look, he, because he worked away during the week, yeah. Um, I, that was one of the things I used to worry about, and he knew that because my ex-husband had um, had an affair. So I was probably, you know, a little paranoid about that. But he used to say to me, "I have never cheated on my girlfriend's ever," and and I think that's true. But he he could say say if we had a fight on. Saturday, he went and we'd broken up or, you know, he's like, I don't want to see you again and like, you know, piss off, whatever. Um, So in his mind, we would be broken up so he could go away for work. And if he met someone, technically he wouldn't be cheating because we were fighting and broken up at the time. So I don't actually know. Just like out
0: out of that Friends episode where Ross says they were on break.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yes.
1: So in his mind, I guess, no, he hasn't cheated. But I I actually don't know for sure. Um, But I know it sort of all came to a head when, um, because I was just like, you know, my friends noticed. I just wasn't happy. And my best friend, I was speaking to her, you know, every week and saying, I just don't, you know, he said this to me. He did that to me. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's awful. Piss him off when she met him and he didn't like her straight up. Um, and she's just like, you need to get out of this. Look at you. You you know, I was just so depressed and anxious. Um, and so I started, you know, we, uh, we'd break up and then he would love bomb me and, and, because he was away, I'd, I'd end up, I'd think, okay, I'll go over there on the Friday and I'm going to talk to him because I don't understand what's happening right now. Like I don't understand why you're saying these shit things or, um, you know, making me feel like crap. And he would drink too much and he would really be nasty with some of the stuff he said. And um, so I'd go over there on the Friday and have what I thought a clear list of things that I wanted to talk about and just – put out on the table and I remember he would open the front door and you would go oh, Amelia you're so crazy what are you doing and he would hug me and it wasn't a proper hug like it was just superficial um, and he would say you're so crazy I don't know what you're doing I don't know why you know because I could have been sending him a few text messages through the week just oh, this is you know I'm fed up whatever um, so he and then when I would try and talk about what was bothering me in the relationship, he would spin the conversation. He was the master of spin, and in the end, I would forget what I was actually complaining about to start with, and because he had spun it around and and I guess now gaslighting me and going, no, it didn't happen like that. What are you? You're crazy. Like I don't know how many times I heard I'm crazy and I really believed maybe I am crazy, maybe it is me. Um, and even now I still struggle with that and I think, is it me? I don't know. Um, so I sort of, uh, the relationship just wasn't going anywhere. We were together on and off for like three years and there was just no progression. There was no talk of like in my age group, you know, you would start talking about living together or having a future, and he would sort of talk about the future, but it, not really. Um, he, uh, yeah, he said, you wouldn't want to live with me. I would, you know, I'd do your head in, and which is probably true now. So in my mind, I thought, okay. I need to sort of bring this to a head because I can't keep going back and forward like I am. So I said to him, look, if we're not going to progress and move in together or, you know, have some sort of plan for the future, then I'm going to take this job in Queensland, up north. Um, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I'm, I want to see a bit of Australia, so I'm going to take this job. If if So I, I guess... In hindsight, I uh, sort of gave him an ultimatum, which I know you probably shouldn't do. But I just, I think in my mind, I wanted him to say, oh, no, 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 you you can't go. Please don't leave. You know, let's work this out. Um, So he called my bluff, I guess. Um, So basically I packed all my stuff in a car. Um, I rented a unit that was furnished up north I left my son, who is still living with me, and my two dogs. I got in the car with um, three other girlfriends that came up with me. We drove up to Queensland, which is like a two-day trip. Um, and the day after, or was it the day I got there? Anyway, the day after, I got a text message from him, and it said, hey, you just walked past me, and then kiss, kiss. And my heart stopped for a moment. I thought, oh my God, he's come up here. He's come up here to get me to, to tell me to, you know, that he loves me and he wants to make this work and, you know, come home. And so I sent him a message, I was like, What? And then he sent a message back going, Oh, sorry, it's not meant for you.
0: Oh my God.
1: Uh, oh my god. <laughs> And I, my heart just stopped. I thought, like, this was the day, like, as I found out later, he had already started this other relationship with this girl um, prior to me even leaving the state. So up until pretty much the week or two weeks before I left, the door was still sort of open and I was hoping we were still in communication and, you know, uh, we didn't physically see each other, but, you know, I still had this hope that he would, you know, want me to stay. And then when I got that message, I was like, oh, oh, oh my God. (laughs) So then, so that was the day after I, you know, had got up to a different station, and was going to be starting a new job and, and he had replaced me, you know, already. And I was enraged. Oh my god! I was so angry. I was. I sent him like the abuse that I gave him via text. So we had this on and off. So I lasted up north for five months.
0: Yes. Yeah, so it, so it, while you so while you're there, you get that mm-hmm. text
1: yeah
0: i mean i, I you know, in the history of the show, I don't react that much, and that was a real yeah. natural reaction of <laughs> um yeah you know sitting back here so i mean at that point, yeah. I mean you must have spiraled, i would have spiraled oh, and I,
1: I spiraled so i uh, i thought. I was losing my mind, and here I was. I was away from – so my friends had flown back home. They drove up with me, and they got me settled in this unit. Then the message happened, and oh, then they oh, so flew they home. Even,
0: they weren't even there for it.
1: Oh, They were there for the message, but okay. then they flew home the next day. Yeah. So they were trying to just distract me from this whole thing, but I was uh, losing my mind. That's, just, so they that's flew, like, they like the home. equivalent
0: of like, oh, I just won the lottery – yeah. And then someone saying like just taking all of the money back and Yeah. Yeah, because
1: just... it was it was it was so perfect timing because we were actually just headed out for dinner like we were just it, the timing of this text was perfect because it was quite feasible that I could have just walked past him if he had come up, you know. It, it was beyond bizarre and just uh,
0: so, mind so, so in that five months, did you struggle? Did you uh, oh, dra- did you drink or anything God, like that? Yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. So, so I was living in a, the war- a warmer part of uh, Australia up north. Um, so I was living on my own. Um, I was working at a new job, new hospital, you know, and I was making friends at work. But it was more so just like I didn't have anyone after work to sort of catch up with. So I was really isolated. Um, I would come home from work and I'd just walk down to the beach and go to the beach and then I might go to the surf club and I would start drinking after work. And uh, I was drinking every day when I was up there after work um, because I was coming home to an empty unit. And, you know, here where I am now, I've got my two dogs, I've got my son, I've got my sister around the corner. Like I've, I've got my best friend a few suburbs away but up there I, I I was running away from him but in hindsight oh it was it was not a good idea because I was completely isolated from my family and friends um and we were having this text war because I would be lying awake at night thinking oh my god I can't believe he's moved on you know and he sent me that text and and so I would send him a rageful text in the middle of the night and then it would start for a few days. We would have this war um, between us and he would say awful things to me and I'd say awful things to him. Um, so as it turned out, I, you know, I was really thinking up there and my mental health was not doing good. So I ended up um, speaking to the manager at work and I just said, look, I need to go home. I need to be with my family right now. So I packed all my stuff in the car again and I just drove back to Melbourne and, um, you know, we were still in touch here and there, you know, and I know like after reading all the stuff that I've read and listening to all the stuff, um, I should have blocked him. I should have, but I didn't, I still had this little glimmer of hope in me because he used to say to me, um, in, in a moment of rage, he would say, Oh, you're so replaceable. I can replace you tomorrow. And he – like, the awful thing to say to someone. And then, you know, I would leave or, you know, we'd fight and I'd leave. And then the next day he would say, oh, you know, Millie, you, you know you're not replaceable. You know that. Like, and he would uh, – he would still make me feel like I was special. Mm-hmm. And so I still held on to that up until – um you know, and I still struggle with it even today. So I got back to Melbourne around April last year. We were still in touch here and there. Um, it was intermittent between rage and then I would apologise for the shit things I would say and I'd beg. I was I was basically begging him to take me back. It was so shameful now when I think about it um, and he'd say, no, I I'm um I'm happy on my own, you know, I'm doing my own thing. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. But you know, all the while he's got these other women that he's seeing and working up. So, I made the mistake of um catching up with him in October last year. We because we used to love going on road trips and um going fishing. <clears throat> Um, I mean, I'm vegetarian, but I still like the whole process of fishing, but I'm happy to throw the fish back. (laughs) I know it's a bit weird, but I just like sitting by the sea or on the pier fishing. Anyway, so he said, how about we go fishing this weekend? And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be amazing. So I was thinking, okay, maybe maybe he's changed. Maybe he does love me and he wants me back. So we went fishing and look, we had a, I ended up staying there. So I ended up staying there the whole weekend and he, it was different though. It was, he didn't, I wasn't on that pedestal anymore. He wasn't love bombing me. He was being polite and he was being his funny self, telling me funny stories and making me laugh. But, um, it wasn't the same as when the initial love bomb happened. Um, and I thought, oh, hang on, maybe this isn't going to work out. Like, I mean, I don't even know why I wanted to get back with him. Cause seriously, he, he made, I lost all sense of myself with him. So anyway, so the week after, we'd had maybe a couple of texts during the week after I'd spent the weekend there. And then because he lived so close to me, I thought, he's seeing someone else for sure. So after work, um, I drove past his house and sure enough, there's another car there, you know. And I just knew, I just knew it was another female. So I sent him like a rageful text. Like I, I... Became—it's embarrassing—the level of stalkiness that I went to to confirm that he was seeing someone else. Um, I'm really embarrassed about that, and so I sent him like a rageful text at like midnight or whatever, and he responded like later in the day and just said, you know, yeah, we caught up last week, but I'm free to do whatever I please, and yes, I am seeing someone, and I was like, oh
0: okay well you, you shouldn 't feel Ugh. embarrassed about no. it, and I, you know I say this to everyone um, who 's been in, in in your situation uh, if they feel that way it 's because i mean you were put on this <clears throat> when pedestals happen and in attachment styles happen in your attachment style. And what he was doing which with which was pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling. Yes. Yes. And when you're in a constant state of pushing and pulling, um, yeah. you're always and there's pedestals there and the way that you saw him, you're constantly grabbing and you're looking upward mm. the whole entire time. So when when mm. that situation has been created, you know, you can look at it in the back and you know all of us are embarrassed, are of the mm. way that we acted. But mm. it, when, it, when it comes down to it, <clears throat> it we were conditioned um, to for that to happen. And, yes. And, you know, I try, I try to want – well, I want everyone to look at it in this sense of like, I mean, you're psychologically conditioned for this specific thing to occur. And even though it might make you cringe about like, no. I can't believe – Oh, that, yeah. That happened. Yeah. And, yeah. and that I did that. But, you know, when you really look at it and are able to stand back, I mean, with the whole story and, and, and the pushing mm. and, the, and the pulling and how it, <clears throat> things occurred over time. And then you throw in as well, like all of the stuff, uh, you know, from before uh, your, yeah. you're in this relationship. I mean, it, it, it happened but there was a reason for it and yeah um, yeah you know i know words are words uh, and it won't probably change your mind but uh i don't think you should be embarrassed because i i know what happened to you
1: yeah okay yeah so yeah I, I i try not to be embarrassed but uh, it, there's a little underlying there's, it like you said with the cringe I cringe when I think you know and i'm still struggling today because it's 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 hard he lives around the corner basically from me and i have apparently you know i've seen him with this woman, so they're still together and there's this underlying um first of all. Like, I just felt like I had lost who I am. I don't know who I am anymore. Um, I'm I'm figuring it out now, and your podcast has definitely helped me <laughs> listening to other people's stories because then you think, okay, I'm not – like, my story sounds similar but different to other people's, but I'm not crazy. Um, you know, this is what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, when I sent you an email, like uh, someone described a relationship with a narcissist is like death by paper cuts. And that is how I felt at the end of it. I had completely bled out, but there was no big event, you know, a big stabbing. (laughs) It was just this constant little nicks, like you say, with the push pull. It's like a paper cut and it would just and I hemorrhaged out and there was nothing left by the end and um you know, and I'm I'm still today I, I still struggle with the okay, so he's still with this other person and what is it about her? Is she better than me? Is she skinnier than me? Is she younger? Which she probably is, um prettier. Um uh, I still I'm still struggling with that i'm I'm having therapy so i'm I'm trying um to get myself in a better headspace and I think the the loop is still continuing but it's probably lessening like in the moment I wake up <clears throat> I wake up its thoughts of him mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and that is probably lessening um with the therapy and the hypnotherapy that I'm getting um uh yeah, it's a it's a journey. <laughs>
0: so, so how, um, how difficult is it to live in the area still? And, no, are, I, and are you afraid when you leave that you'll, you'll run have. into them?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I have, and I have. You know, I've gone up to the shopping center and on a Sunday morning before work, and. Because I've driven past his house, I know the car. <clears throat> so I saw the car and I saw him driving it with her in the passenger seat and I was sitting behind them in traffic. And all I wanted to do was ram my car. <laughs> you know, I had this bleaking moment where I just wanted to, you know, ram my car into them. Mm-hmm. I was just enraged. And I thought, oh, you know, with all the lockdown. Um, the risk of running into him is probably less because um, like the local pub that, you know, we both used to go to, it's got a nice beer garden and, you know, there is a chance that I will see him up there. So it's really tricky living in such close proximity um, because any car, so she drives a little Volkswagen, a little black Volkswagen, so any black Volkswagen that I see on the street, I'll be driving to work, and I'll look at the number plate because I know the number plate. Um, it's obsessive, constant thinking: is that her? Is that her? And then if I see a car, because he's got a company car, if I see, you know, I've seen him; he's driven past me when I've been going on a walk, and it just, it, it just is like that punch in the stomach when I see the car or I see them, um, you know, and I know.
0: he's he's no
1: good
0: i know but that's difficult to always see it real that is like you know you tell people like turn off your social media turn off this this, don't don't look at it but for you the social media is right right around the corner uh so that's very tough and very difficult to deal with um so i really feel for you the, just because you know, it's hard. That's yeah. you, I mean, you're still in the epicenter of that. So yeah. What, what, what does your I, therapist say about um, how to go about uh, lessening uh, the obsessive thoughts of it? Yeah. And, and like, so how okay, are you working so, on that?
1: Yeah, I think because the the loop the loop uh, re, replay in my head is, what if. He is a better per- like. What if he's a better man for her? What What if it was me that had that made him the way he was? Um. So that obsessive. She's better than me. She's maybe he's changed for her. Like so that when that thought is ever present, we're doing a, a switch. Technique so every time that thought pops into my head i 'm switch switch, and I will think of something else like I will try and divert my thoughts away from him mm-hmm. so it 's a constant because uh, said to the, I said to my therapist i 'm going to be saying switch all day <laughs> because it 's like all day um, there'll be sort of this uh, thought of him. Um, and she said, "Well, if it's all day, it's all day. Um, you just keep. You need to work at it. You need to do this switch technique. So, it's like bang, switch, stop. You know, and so, then divers."
0: So, are you very much in an anger stage of things? Like uh, you're still like just really angry and and rage uh um, like in, in you, or are you at like? Is that lessening?
1: I think it's lessening um I think, like when i've seen them uh in you know sitting in traffic in front of me, I was enraged mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but you know i i i'm, I'm th- it is lessening like i I'm trying the where i'm having hypnosis every week it's costing me fortune I've spent thousands on therapy <laughs> mm-hmm. to recover from this and not just this, but things from the past, you know,
0: but but there are um, so there's some moments probably where like you're having a fine day and then that memory will pop in your yeah. head and that memory yeah. will just get you. Boom. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just like a punch in the stomach or a punch to the face, you know, it just takes you back. And so, but I'm, I'm, I feel like since I found your podcast and I've been listening to a couple of other things, Bits and pieces, and I, I'm finding that really helpful to hear people's stories. It makes me feel less alone. Um, and because when, like, uh, with some of my friends, they don't really get it, <clears throat> and they're like, "Oh, it's God, were well, you still going on about him? Just let it go, move on," you know. And they don't really, they don't get it. They don't understand how this completely. Um, you know, broke me. Uh, but then my best friend, she, she gets it and I can talk to her anytime and she just, she gets it.
0: So um, with the hypnosis, are you, uh, doing specific, um, trauma, a moment or is it at, uh, like us like trauma as a whole or uh, that you kind of attack when you're doing the hypnosis? And are you um, also, um, I, I guess, do you guys go over like whatever y- your issues are before coming into a relationship to work on that specifically?
1: Yeah. So, so I've been having hypnosis probably, uh, pretty much. So I caught up with him in October. It all fell apart within a few weeks, you know, this ideal that I thought we were, you know, maybe going to work it out. And so I think I started hypnosis around November last year. Mm -hmm. So I've been going regularly. And initially, yes, we have dealt with more so the stuff from my childhood because at the crux of it, I think – how I feel about myself and being vulnerable to someone like him really does go back to how I feel about myself and how I grew up, um, you know, and how i viewed the world. Mm-hmm. So my, um, the therapist, we, we've, I feel like I've dealt with this trauma from the past and we've, you know, worked through those moments, those particular moments that were quite traumatic. So I feel like I've, I'm doing well with regards to that. And so now um, the last few sessions we have been focusing on him, um, you know, and my obsessive thoughts about him. Um, and it's helping. <laughs> it's definitely helping um, because it's, my therapist changed because the one I was originally saying left the clinic. And so this new therapist, I've only seen her, I think this week will be my fourth time seeing her. And I thought, geez, all right, I'm going to go in. And I need to deal with this situation with how I'm feeling about him. Um, So I went in and I said, look, you know, I've spent thousands of dollars. Um, Yes, it's been helpful with my thing, you know, my history as a kid. We've worked through that. I said, but this thing with You know, I said, Do you know what a narcissist is? And have you you ever dealt with them? And she said to me, I was married to one. (laughs) So I was like, Okay, this lady gets it. So now we're, I feel so, I feel comfortable with her because she knows what I'm talking about. She's lived it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's helping me. And I feel like, I mean, I may not sound like I'm getting there, but I, I feel like I am. I feel more positive. I'm making plans with friends to go on road trips and, you know, and I'm getting out and going, like, on little adventures by myself and just drive for a couple of hours to a national park and go and walk and sit and write and just do things that I enjoy. Um, So I'm I'm getting there and my obsessive thoughts are not 24-7 about him anymore. So it's a little... It's baby steps, but I feel like I'm getting there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do I sound like I am?
0: I think no? you. I think you are. <laughs> and yeah. what is your, uh, I guess, within yourself with it, with everything that's that's gone on? I guess was your self esteem mm. the biggest thing for you mm-hmm. throughout the whole entire uh, process from growing up and and uh, and with him. Yeah. Uh, um, so so w- within the self-esteem issue, what is, I guess, like the bi- – is it being good enough? Is it – Yeah, um, yes. And as far as being in a relationship and feeling am I good enough, you know, your, your mindset before was, you know, I'm not getting any younger. You know, I want to, you know, you know, I, you know, I want to be with someone. Is that even something that you even think about anymore or is it more focused on you?
1: Okay, so, yeah, the the self-esteem, um, no self-esteem. And for as long as I remember, I was not good enough. Um, you know, uh, I wasn't wanted as a baby, so I was given up for adoption. Um, my adopted father was an evil pedophile who didn't love me. I wasn't good enough. Um, my husband had an affair. That's because I'm not good enough. I was with the narc and he didn't fight for me because I'm not good enough. It's so now these thoughts, when these thoughts are ever present or, you know, they're there, it says switch. Stop. You are good enough. You are worthy. You are a good person. So now I, those negative thoughts about how I feel about myself. You know, it's a process. I, you know, it's a constant thing. I have to tell myself I am worthy, I am good enough. Um, I have tried the dating side, just briefly dipped my toe in there and went on a couple of dates. But I don't think, even if someone, was nice. <laughs> I don't think I'm in the right place to, you know, be getting involved with, you know, I wouldn't know a good person if I fell out of them, to mm-hmm. be honest. I don't, it's, um,
0: you're, it's all like, uh, you're still in a state of, you know, uh, not, I'm not going to say confusion, but, uh, I guess you don't trust yourself to make, the right decision would that be Mm. fair? Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah,
1: because you know i could um everyone's a narcissist now
0: but i guess i I, I guess i guess the part about trust would be um you know just being creating boundaries that are very hard boundaries and being aware of oh this behavior just like Mm. box was checked i'm gone like I'm not even waiting for a response. I don't care if you are a good guy. You yeah, know, yeah. You know yeah. I, I'm gone. Yeah. Like that. No, like it's a hard yeah, no I, and all those things.
1: I, I think I'm way more attuned to, you know, I may be even a little over that. <laughs> like someone could be a really good person and I might hear something and I'm like, nope. yeah, everyone's a narcissist now. And I, constantly talk to, you know, girls, you know, the people at work and I'm like, ah, you know, and some of the psych patients that would come in would, and I'd say, oh, they've got narcissistic traits or whatever. <laughs> like, it's like this whole new world that I didn't know existed prior. I didn't, a narcissist, I'd heard the word before, um you know, I didn't really know what it was. And it wasn't until one of the girls at work said when I was in the relationship still, she said, oh, like I would go in, I'd be like, I know they could say I was upset and I just wasn't myself. And I would tell one of my friends and she'd say, oh, he sounds like a narcissist. And I was like, what? What is that? And then I Googled it. And um, it was like, you know, one of those sites, seven signs or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't remember now, but he ticked every box. And I was like, oh, my God. What is this? And then it started. And I think when my awareness of this is when I started sort of fighting back with him and not tolerating his crap. I don't know. It's, um, yeah.
0: Well, you're, you're here. You made it. You were, I am. you know, you uh, went through a lot and you raised two boys.
1: Yeah,
0: who yes. are good good guys? Um, yes, you know they
1: are. They are they are good, good, kind.
0: At a very young age, people. you helped your mom. Uh, you know, put uh, food on the table and house yourselves, and you yeah. know you created a career and a path all by yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. these are a lot of things that you might not see and. That mm. um, that you know uh, you did your whole entire mm. life. Mm. Um, I
1: know, yeah, They're, and they are the things that I need to focus on. You know, it's, my brain gets y- to that negativity, y- yes. yeah. you know, and it is a pro, it's a switch. Stop, stop. You know, you are worthy. You are good enough. So that's just the constant. And since I've been really. Um, strict with that, I actually have seen an improvement in myself. Like I do feel a little more confident and I'm not walking with my head down so much and, you know, and I'm interacting more comfortably with people and, um, you know, and your podcast has helped me to know it. It really has. And thank you. Um, Just listening to someone's stories, it's just heartbreaking. And, but, also helpful.
0: (laughs) So before we, before we end off the show, is there any words of wisdom for anyone uh, out there that you want anyone to know?
1: Um, you are worthy and you are good enough and don't let someone, don't put your happiness, how you feel inside in another person's hands. Um, or depend on them to make you happy find that happiness in yourself I guess
0: well, Amelia, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this episode, being on the other side of the planet than me, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and syncing up our times. I really appreciate it, and I know uh, this episode is going to help a lot of people. So, thank you. Oh, I hope so. For being oh, well, here. Oh,
1: thank you, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, you are welcome. And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night.